Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Thank you, Pastor Glenn, for leading us in worship. Uh, If you brought your Bible, please open with me to that passage that was just read, Hebrews chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible and you have a smartphone, uh, you can just Google Hebrews 5 verse 11 and uh, try to get the ESV translation. That's the one that uh, we use primarily, uh, or I use primarily for preaching and teaching, um, so that might help you out. Um, If you have any translation of the Bible, though, it should be... Uh, it should be okay, and you be, should be able to work around it. Uh, if you don't know me, if you've been here and you're new over the course of the last uh, two weeks, uh, you haven't seen me or met me uh, because I've been gone for the last two weeks. Uh, I'm my name is Carl. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so awesome to be back. Uh, my family and I had the privilege of visiting our extended family in the Midwest for the previous uh, two weeks, and it was a fantastic time. Uh, we flew in uh, on a Wednesday evening. We landed down in the Midwest, and then we spent the weekend celebrating my grandparents' 75th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. My grandma, this uh, earlier in this spring, she had a doctor's appointment that she needed to go to, and uh, she was at the appointment, and the nurse said, so do you have any big plans this summer? And my grandma said, actually, I'm celebrating 75 years of marriage. The nurse like looked back at her and said, 75 years? To the same man? <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa, they tune in quite regularly. I love you. I'm so thankful to be able to uh, participate in your renewal of vows ceremony and so thankful for the example that you've set for my wife and I and our family and even now uh, our church. Your testimony continues to ring forward from generation to generation and I love you deeply. I told them I'd say something to them on, online if they tuned in, but they are very, very regular in their participation in worship uh, on Sunday mornings with us, and uh, they are dear, dear to my heart, and I'm so thankful to be able to uh, participate in that. And then from the 75th wedding anniversary, we went, my son Judah and I, we went to uh, the north woods of Minnesota and Canada, and uh, with my brother, my two brothers, my dad, and my nephew, we went on a camping canoeing excursion, got completely off the grid and uh, carried canoes from lake to lake through hundreds of pounds of gear in a canoe and paddled across for two nights, three days and came back and, and somebody asked Judah after we were all done with it, said, Judah, that's my, my uh, almost 10 year old son. He said, Judah, did you have fun or did you like the trip? He said, well, it wasn't fun, but it was an adventure. <laughs> I said, amen, amen, Judah. That's exactly the purpose for why we get off the grid. We do some camping and fishing and canoeing and challenge ourselves. It was a, it was a whole lot of fun. And then 
from there, we met up with uh, Andrea's side of the family, went to Kentucky uh, to visit both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Uh, If you uh, want to have a full-fledged assault on philosophical naturalism and glorified young earth creationism, that is the place for you. If you don't know what those words mean, Lord bless you. It was a wonderful time. I really enjoyed the time at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter uh, and spending significant amount of time with Andrea's side of the family. But overall, uh, I spent two weeks in which I only slept in the same bed for two nights, uh, for two nights in a row. <laughs> so we were traveling all over the place, sleeping in a whole bunch of different places. Uh, and I am so thankful to finally be back home. And truly, before you guys and with this church is genuinely home for me, where there are no mosquitoes and no humidity. And praise the Lord, the wildfires are staying calm this summer. So if you brought your Bible again, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be beginning in verse 11 and just working through verse 14. But as, we, as you're turning there, getting there, um, let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand because I don't want you to brag, but how many of you would consider yourself to be an expert at something? How many of you would consider yourself to say, you know what, my competency in a specific area is to such a degree that I really would be considered an expert? Uh, According to Malcolm Gladwell in his popular book, Outliers, uh, he records a a number of research that says, in order for somebody to truly become an expert at something, they need 10,000 hours of practice in a particular skill. And he cites the Beatles needing about 10,000 hours practicing their instruments and singing together as a band in order to become expert musicians. Or Bill Gates spending 10,000 plus hours uh, learning how to program a computer in order to become an expert computer programmer or uh, expert violin and musicians that need about 10,000 hours of intense practice uh, before they become concert expert orchestral uh, violinists or pianists to become experts. Now, I know there have been some researchers saying, well, it's not the quantity of time, it's really the quality of time. And there's a a number of different discussions around uh, around that discussion, but the heart of the matter is that in order for you to be an expert at something, it takes a significant amount of devoted, concentrated effort in a specific area for you to become an expert. What the author to the Hebrews wants to communicate to the people of God that he is writing to is that the ministry of the word and maturity in Christ happens in the same way a significant amount of devoted time underneath the word of God in order to become competent. If you want the big idea for us in the message today, it's this, maturing Christians, those who walk closely with Jesus, are trained in the word of God. Maturing Christians, those who are growing in Christ-likeness, those who are becoming more like Jesus, humble themselves and are continually and constantly trained in the Word of God. 
Now we've seen in the, uh, in the book of Hebrews up until this point that the author of the Hebrews has a lot to say about a lot of topics. He's communicating to a primarily Jewish background audience and trying to explain to them why Jesus is better. Why Jesus is better than angels and more glory and is worthy of more glory than angels. Why Jesus is uh, greater than Moses in his service to God. Why Jesus, in the, this previous chapter, why Jesus is a great and a greater high priest than the old covenant priest. And if you were here for the last two weeks, you, you heard Pastor Glenn introduce this topic of Jesus becoming a great and a merciful high priest after the order of this big word, Melchizedek. Now, the author has a lot to say about this, but he also knows his audience. So he understands that he introduces this lofty topic of Jesus being a greater and better high priest than the old covenant, but he also knows the people that he's talking to and knows that if he continues along this detailed exposition of Jesus being a great high priest, he's going to have a lot of blank stares. He's going to have a lot of people's eyes that just glaze over as he begins to explain these things. So he pauses in verse 11, and then for the remainder of the chapter, he gives a quick and penetrating appeal to Christians to make sure that they are focused on their training in the word to make sure that they aren't regressing in their spiritual maturity and allowing for their eyes to glaze over and their minds to become dull to the word of God. So he begins in verse 11 with this pause, this parenthesis to exhort them by saying this in verse 11. About this, we have much to say. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who's walked with Jesus closely for a number of years? Have you ever sat down and interacted with someone who is, mature, is a maturing Christian that has seen Jesus move in their life or in the lives of others, and it just seems like from the overflow of their heart, they have so much to talk about about him? Maybe some of you are that person, that if you sit down with someone, they're like, hey, tell me how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You're like, well, on a cold and windy night in Chicago, and back in 19 such and such, and you can just, from the overflow of your heart, just talk about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, how he means to your life, and about Jesus, you have a lot to say. Now, have you ever been in a situation in which you found yourself as that person talking a lot and you're sharing about how Jesus, what Jesus means to you, but sharing about who he is and the person that you are talking to after the first couple sentences of interest, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And then they keep saying, wow, that's crazy. Wow. That's hot. That's nice. Mm-hmm. 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 And then you realize that the body language that you're receiving from them is the same thing again and again. And you could begin talking about the instructions about how you're building an atomic bomb and they'd still be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's what was happening to his audience in Hebrews. He begins opening up about Melchizedek and Jesus being a high priest in the line of Melchizedek, but he realized, uh-oh, their, their eyes are glazing over here. They're tuning me out because 
I don't think that they're ready to hear what I have to say. So he pauses and says, about this, I have a lot to say. Brothers and sisters, if you've been walking with Jesus and you're maturing in Jesus and you have a lot to say about him, yes and amen. That is so good. But also, be wise and understanding with the people that you're talking to. Because sometimes if you just keep, if you keep talking like a a wild, unrestrained fire hose, the only thing you're going to make that person is just soaking wet. But rather, when we are communicating about Jesus, we want to present before people a nice, cold, refreshing cup of living water that can quench their soul and satisfy them. And so the author of the Hebrews is saying, look, I have an unrestrained fire hose and I could go for hours on this, but I'm going to pause because about this, I have much to say. And he continues, and it's hard to explain. There are things about Jesus that are complicated. There are things that are about Jesus that go back to before the time, time even began. There are lofty philosophical constructs that, that build out a robust worldview that are hard to explain. And in particular, it's hard for the author of the Hebrews to explain to this particular audience because you have become dull of hearing. Now, this is, this is a penetrating rebuke. And if you're talking to somebody about Jesus and you see their eyes glaze over, don't just say, hey, stupid, listen up. You're probably not going to get their attention. But in this particular case, to this particular audience, with the, people, the, the author of the Hebrews knows his audience and he knows that this is going to get their attention. So he says, since you have become dull of hearing. This is... This uh, verb here that he uses, have become, means that where they were, they have actually regressed. They have become dull of hearing. They were soft of heart. They were quick to listen, but now they have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing simply in in this context means lazy to listen or stubborn and stupid. It simply means those who have their hearts and minds focused in other areas so that when Jesus is talked about, their mind drifts to other places. They aren't able to comprehend what God has for them in the particular area of their life because they're focused on other areas. And even though they started out listening and listening to the word, hearing the word, responding to the word, now they have regressed to such a degree that they are unable to hear what God has to share with them about the person and the work of his son. And then he diagnoses them even further in verse 12, showing them that he understands where they're at, saying that for though by this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers. In other words, you've been walking with Jesus. You've been saying that you're followers of Jesus for a long enough time now that you should not only comprehend these things, but you should be able to internalize them to such a degree that you're able to communicate them to others. 
You're able to instruct other people about where you're at with Jesus, about who Jesus is, and you're able to edify and bring them up with your ministry to them. For you have been walking with Jesus for so long at this point, you yourself, you should be a teacher. Verse 12 continues, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's saying, I don't even know if you understand even the very basic truths of who Jesus is and what the gospel is and what the word of God says. As I'm unpacking these things about who Jesus is and and how he is a high priest in the line of Melchizedek, I'm afraid that I need to go all the way back to square one with you. That I need to go all the way back to the very core foundational things because I'm not even sure that you even grasp those at this point. Because by this time, you should be teaching others, but you're not teaching others, which shows me that you haven't matured to the degree that you should by this time. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles, the word of God. You need milk, not solid food. You need very easy, consumable protein that comes from milk. Not the complex preparation of fruits and vegetables and potatoes and meat that comes with solid food. You need someone to spoon feed you milk. You're not capable of preparing a meal for yourself, let alone for somebody else. He explains in verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's saying to them, by this time, you should have matured in your spiritual walk to such a degree that you're able to open up the word of God, feed yourself solid food, and be able to communicate it with others so that they might be edified. But you're still at the place of an infant, being nursed milk week after week, eating the same thing from the same teachers, doing the same thing. You're not growing. You're not maturing. And in particular, they say that he, they are not maturing because they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. What does that mean? It simply means that they can't discern for themselves what's right and what's wrong with the gospel as the basis. They can't discern, is this good or is this evil? Is this good in the will of God, or is this something to be shunned that's a sin? They needed someone else to continually to affirm them and reiterate to them their own understanding of that's right, that's wrong. That's what you need to do with a child. A child can't discern for themselves whether the stove is dangerous or whether the stove is a toy. So you need to tell them that stove is dangerous. Stay away. Bad. That fire truck, the Mattel fire truck, that's a toy. That's good. And he's saying, even though these people have professed faith in Jesus Christ for a long period of time, they are still being spoon-fed. And they are still living off of milk. 
They can't discern for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They are unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, I love being a dad. Being a dad is so much fun. I even loved, well, I love the fact that I'm not a dad of very little children anymore. But I did love the fact of being a dad to little children while they were little. So thankful we have graduated from that stage and that they are older now. But what I loved as a toddler, they're so cute. They're terrorists, but they're cute terrorists. <laughs> and on occasion, the, the, the toddlers would crawl up into my wife Andrea's lap and they'd say the cutest little things like nurse or cracker. And they'd be coming to mom saying, I'm hungry and I need some food. And it's so cute and loving and motherly for Andrea to say, oh, my cute little Cassidy, my cute little Judah, and to go get a cracker and to feed our toddlers. It's cute. It's wonderful. If everybody sees it, you're like, wow, that is how it should be. Toddlers should do that. But if Judah was 17 and he crawls up onto Andrea's lap, and he looks up at her and says, Cracker. That's not cute. That's sad. He's still unable as a 17-year-old to feed himself. That's not cute. That's immature. Brothers and sisters, in our spiritual lives, in our walk with Christ, we must be able to grow and understand what is right and what is wrong for ourselves in accordance with the gospel, understanding the word of God, and being able to feed ourselves and walk in the truth. Immature Christians lack discernment. Immature Christians need someone else to continually affirm what is right or what is wrong to them and are unable to walk with Jesus in such a way that they are able to discern what it means to be a mature Christian. Sadly, immature Christianity is quite common today. Immaturity happens when Christians stop thinking through issues with the gospel at the center, with the word of God being our ultimate and infallible guide to faith and practice. When we neglect God's word and we neglect God's gospel and we just look to other sources to affirm to us what is right and what is wrong, we're waiting in immaturity and we lack discernment. And it's, it's rampant today. I'll give you a clear example with a current issue. Now, I could sit here and on some occasion, on one occasion or many occasions, it would be awfully fun for me and potentially edifying to some of you to unpack from the scriptures, starting in Genesis, going all the way through Revelation, why Jesus Christ must be a man. Why it is essential to the gospel that Jesus Christ 
is a hu- not just a human being, but a man and not a woman. I could, unpack to you, I could unpack from Genesis all through Revelation, through the whole scriptures, on why it is important for Jesus himself to be distinguished and distinct as a man and not a woman. And it would be fun for me. And I could, I, could, I could unpack it from the scriptures and I could show you how gender itself is a theological construct before it is a biological construct. I can show you how gender is in the mind and design of God before it ever becomes a psychological construct or a biological construct. It's a theological construct designed in the, and intended in the mind of God. And I could walk you through every single step on why that is true and why it's essential to the gospel for Jesus Christ to be not just a human, but a male. But I know that some of you, as I would be unpacking it, some of your eyes would just glaze over because it'd be digging too deeply into texts that you're not ready for at this point. And for some of us here, the only thing you would want me to say and the only thing that you would want to hear is that the desire for a man to be a woman is a sin. Do you see the difference there? A mature Christian, a mature Christian is able to take the scriptures, unpack it for themselves, see what it says, and be taught by someone else an entire process for knowing and understanding the truth. A mature Christian cares about the process, not just the answers and the end result. An immature Christian says, just give me the answers so I can go pwn my enemies. Just give me what I need to, the ammunition that I need to have so that I can be right and own people who are wrong. Don't train me to actually think according to God, uh, according to God's word and feed myself. Just give me what I need for right now because that I just want the milk. Do you see that distinction? Brothers and sisters, this word speaks to every single culture. It is relevant at every single time and throughout all of human history. There will never be a time in which Jesus Christ himself is not speaking and communicating in and through his church. That's not a question. The question is that are we going to be mature enough to listen and respond to what he is saying at a particular time so that we might mature into the type of people that are winsome and loving and gracious and his hands and his feet into a lost and a dying world who desperately needs the gospel. So brothers and sisters, we are not only just concerned with the truth of God that discerns right and wrong, but we are also concerned about our own spiritual maturity and growing in Christ's likeness so that we might reflect all of his love, all of his truth, all of his grace to a world that desperately needs it. And how does that happen? How does one go from being a child, spiritually speaking, to being an adult? The author of the Hebrews explains the, the distinction in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. Milk is for the infant. Just grab the bottle and and start drinking. But solid food takes time. Solid food you need to prepare. 
Solid food, you, you, you need to cook appropriately to the right temperature. You need to get rid of all of the impurities from it. You, it, takes, it takes time to prepare. Solid food is for the mature. How does one become trained in understanding and become mature? What's the process for becoming mature? Verse 14, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong, what's in accordance with the gospel, what is antithetical to the gospel, who can distinguish right from wrong by constant training, understanding the issues that are are, are happening currently, and not just simply taking a spoon-fed answer from another source, but opening up the scriptures for ourselves being trained and teachable by God's word to understand the godly process to arrive at helpful conclusions for people, not simply spoon-fed ones that will rally a crowd. And brothers and sisters, there are far too many teachers today, pundits online, podcasters out there, that are just simply comfortable with spoon-feeding milk to a bunch of babies that do not care about training people to understand right from wrong on themselves. Do you want to know why? Because if you mature people, they can challenge you. If you train people well, they might come at you when you are wrong. I have... No assumption that everything that I say from this platform is true. I understand that there are going to be many things that I'm a little off here or not quite seeing things clearly there. And I expect and wholeheartedly desire for you to come at me when I'm wrong and for us together to examine the scriptures so that we might sharpen one another and see the will of God and come, come through a godly process to arrive at the truth. I played soccer in college. I really thought I was a great soccer player. (laughs) And people laugh now. But I didn't realize how much I didn't know about the game until I began coaching as a grad student. When I'm just concerned for myself, and my own play, and, and, and what I'm doing, there's a very limited view of the entire game. But then when I became a coach and was like, oh man, I'm entrusted to teach these college players how to play this game uprightly, appropriately, correctly, so that we might win a match, my entire world opened up for becoming a better understander, someone who understands the game. Isn't that true for every discipline, though? Like, you find out that you learn more about that specific discipline by teaching it rather than just learning. And for a mature Christian, the mark of a mature Christian, if an immature Christian is one who lacks discernment and needs to be spoon-fed, the mark of a mature Christian is one who is teachable, who understands what they don't know and then goes after to understand those things so that they might not only be teachable themselves, but also teach others. The first step in becoming a mature Christian 
is realizing your own areas of immaturity. Understanding what you don't know and or understanding, you know what, I'm too focused on this thing and it's making me dull because I'm too focused on this issue or this area and I'm only listening to what's happening in this issue in this area and it's blocking off the whole counsel of God from speaking to me on the robust understanding of who God is and what God is doing. So let me submit to you a few steps that you can take to become mature, teachable followers of Christ. First of all, if you haven't already set in a practice in motion along these lines, uh, start soon. Read the Bible consistently and prayerfully. Just build into your day a habit of consuming the word of God for yourself. But don't do it just as one who's looking for answers. Do it for one who is seeking after God. Prayerfully seek after the will of God as you are reading the scriptures. Read the Bible consistently and prayerfully. First step. Second step, as you're doing that, be spiritually attuned to the areas that you're sensitive towards. How do I know that I'm sensitive to an area? Well, I'd glaze over it. Like, if you're in Leviticus and you're looking through the the sacrificial system and why uh, this particular type of goat needs to be sacrificed at this particular time of years and you just find yourself glazing over, narrow in on that thing and say, why is that there? Sensitize yourself to those areas and then press in. Press into it. Once you've pressed into those particular areas that you're sensitized to, or the, it's an area that might upset you, why did, why did God allow for, or why did God command Joshua to expel the Canaanites and, and cause the harem upon, and put the harem uh, upon the Canaanites as the, and cleanse the promised land? Hone in on that. If that bothers you, hone in on those things. And then third, don't just accept a spoon-fed answer. Consult a wide variety of Christian authors, theologians, Bible commentators in that area. Read widely about why God may or may not have done a specific thing. And then hone your conviction. I'm like, no, I think, think this is why God did this. This is what God is saying in this. And, and this is what's right and this is what's wrong in this particular area. Apply that to your life, who God is, what he has done. Apply that to your life, and then look for opportunities to teach that to others who will listen. You will find those simple steps that your spiritual maturity, you will go from an immature Christian who just wants spoon-fed answers to a thoughtful, gracious, winsome understanding of the robust counsel of the whole counsel of God. And you might have some of your presuppositions challenged. Now, I understand that many of you here will not be called to a teaching ministry, a public teaching ministry. That's fine. But all of us are called to be taught in some manner or some measure. And most importantly, all of us are taught, are called to be taught by God. But there are some of us here who genuinely can't learn from the scriptures. 
because you don't know Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of the entire scriptures. Jesus is the, the main star and the, 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 chief, uh, the chief character from Genesis through Revelation. Gen- Jesus is the one that you can, if you know him, entrust your spiritual immaturity to, and he will grow you up. But some of us here, we don't know him. And today is the day in which you put away your spiritual dullness, and you say to Christ, I trust you. I believe in you. I want to know who God is. And Jesus himself will show you this morning, spiritually speaking. If you're ready to take that step of faith for the very first time and and trust Jesus with your life to mature you into the person that he desires for you to be, let's talk after the service. Jesus is the the way to God. He is the centerpiece of the scripture and he is the truth for everyone at all times in every culture. And he will give you a life that will last forever, even after death. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you. for the work that you are accomplishing in and through your people. God, we praise you that you don't just leave us as children, but you desire for us to mature spiritually into adults. You desire for us to be trained in the word, to understand from a gospel perspective what's right and what's wrong what's in accordance with your will and what is detrimental to your will, what you don't desire for us. Help us, O oh God. Help us to, to be teachable. Help us to mature. Help us to understand that you are a, a good and a gracious king that desires for your people to walk with you closely. And God, I, I pray for us as a church, I pray that we would be growing in our maturity. God, I pray that we would not be dull to hear what you have, what you have or what you are saying because we're focused on other things. Help us press into your word to have your truth revealed to us in a way that's going to transform our lives and mature us into fully grown Mature men and women in the faith. Help us to follow after you closely. God, we love you and we praise you and we give you all of the glory this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.